0: Welcome to the special edition of the O'Reilly Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Lorica, here today with Nicholas Bates-House, a technical lead at Tamer. Welcome to the O'Reilly Podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So first off, let's uh, uh, talk a little bit about your background because I think uh, our audience will find your journey through the tech industry quite relevant to what you're doing now. The first thing that Uh, caught my eye is uh, Thinking Machines. So uh, for those in the audience who aren't familiar with Thinking Machines, maybe put it a little bit in context.
1: Sure. Thinking Machines um, was working on the uh, Connection Machine was their main product. So it was a combination of hardware and software. And they were working, this is back in the 80s and 90s, on these massively parallel computing platforms with hundreds or thousands of compute nodes. The particular group that I was working with was a group that was working on machine learning and building machine learning algorithms that would take advantage of the parallelism in that platform.
0: Did you guys use the term machine learning back then, or was it still data mining?
1: Uh, We did a combination, I don't... Remember whether we use the the term machine learning or not. We did a, a combination of yes. There was absolutely data mining involved. Um, artificial intelligence didn't have quite the black mark then that it has now. Um, so oh, that term certainly bandied now, about now.
0: It's back. <laughs> AI is back, man.
1: <laughs> Amazing the cycles.
0: <laughs> so anyway, so uh, it was enterprise software.
1: Yes, it was enterprise software. Um, and we're, that software has actually, the that group from Thinking Machines was acquired by Oracle. And that technology has been incorporated into the Oracle database platform. It's now the advanced analytics platform within the Oracle database.
0: So it was uh, distributed computing?
1: It was very much distributed computing. And we started off with software that had been designed and tailored for the connection machine. And we retuned it and rehomed it to some of the early massively parallel uh, Sun microprocessors working largely with like the the Sun Niagara architecture.
0: So who was the end user? Was it a developer or the... uh, uh... The equivalent of the data scientist at that point in time?
1: It would be the equivalent of what we now call a data scientist. Yeah, it's someone who understands the data really well and is deeply engaged with the data preparation um, and has deep understanding of both the business problem and the algorithms and the uh, machine learning techniques that you can use in order to go and, and prepare the data. And we had customers that were doing things like market basket analysis and churn analysis and a lot of the things that people are continuing to do um, to focus on data science today.
0: So was the notion of that data pipeline uh, uh, prevalent back then? By that, I mean, uh, not just thinking about applying the algorithm at the end, but also the uh, data preparation, data acquisition, and so forth.
1: No, it would have been nice, but our focus and the, the focus of our, our marketing was very much just on that um, modeling and machine learning component. And a lot of the other components, um, in particular things like data acquisition and data cleaning and how do you get into visualization and all of those, all of that was left to separate tools. And that was very ad hoc at the time. There wasn't really a coherent tool set for getting from end to end in data preparation, analysis, and visualization.
0: So do you remember what were the fashionable algorithms at that point in time? Of course, nowadays, it's deep learning.
1: Nowadays, it's deep learning. Yeah. Um, we did a bunch of classics. So we had um, CART classification and regression trees. We did neural networks. SVM um, was kind of up and coming at the time. We were one of the um, early kind of industrial implementations of SVM. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, and now you have a lot of things like um, random forests and boosted trees and uh, a lot of contemporary techniques that have really built on uh, what we were doing back then.
0: So then at some point you joined Ndeca, another interesting company. And uh, we have a mutual friend, Daniel Tunkelang, who was yeah, at Yeah, Daniel's NDECA. great. Um, so tell us a little bit about Ndeca.
1: Sure. I joined Ndeca um, pretty early on. And... Uh, joined as the the tech lead for the data wrangling team, uh, we referred to it as the data foundry, and Indeca was kind of a uh, visionary and um, very aggressive explorer of data centric processing, and you can see that in the Indeca product, the the Indeca platform where you don't do a, a lot of ddl or modeling or schema definition before loading your data in it's the the focus of the platform is you get your data into the platform and then the system goes and figures out how to work with that data how to present that data um, and this is one of the fundamental ideas behind the faceted navigation that Endeca introduced into the commerce world and the data foundry, the data processing was taking those same ideas and applying them to data processing. So, so was what it we're re- uh,
0: was it very much about unstructured data?
1: It was largely about what we would now call semi-structured um, JSON or XML. Um, this data that has structure, but it's not like a database table. It doesn't have a a predefined schema that you know all the data is going to conform to that schema. So during the data processing, it needed to be able to adapt to data variety, kind of on the fly.
0: So what were what were the, the, the sources of semi-structured information back then?
1: The main source of semi-structured information was the um, the myriad catalogs that we were stitching together in order to present a single unified catalog. With a retailer such as Home Depot, you can imagine that housewares and gardening and and hardware would have very distinct catalogs with very distinct data representations. And rather than force an organizational effort where people from all these different departments would have to get together and agree on a single unified data standard, data representation, before we could present the catalog to the outside world, we said the tool should be able to adapt to the data. Let's just let each department organize their data as they see fit load their data into the platform as it is, and then the platform will adjust. And then we had algorithms internally to figure out how to present that information, that variety of data and information to the end user in a way that isn't overwhelming. You don't want to see like threads per inch and um, some special dishwasher cleaning cycle on the same page. They just don't make sense together. So you need to filter it down so that the end user um, can understand what they're being presented with and can find their way to the information that they're looking for.
0: So what you're describing here is kind of very similar to what uh, some other startups and companies are doing these days. And as I'm asking this question, I'm smiling because I I thought like this was so long ago, but uh, Indeca actually is not that old a company. It was acquired by Oracle in twenty eleven or something like that,
1: right? That's right. Yeah.
0: So what so you followed Indeca into Oracle?
1: I, oh, I did. Mean, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was working with the uh, the business intelligence team within Indeca at the at the time of the acquisition. And just as Indecad did for commerce saying, hey, you've got this data variety, you don't need to reconcile that before building a a catalog. We're doing the same thing with business intelligence. You have a whole bunch of data, you want to bring it together in order to visualize it rather than forcing people to go through some kind of MDM effort um, before looking at their data. We said, hey, Agile BI, just load your data and go. Um, And it it was a really cool platform. We had taken... Uh, the the core technology that was able to do the queries needed for e-commerce and and the algorithms that I talked about in terms of filtering down what people are looking at from a a commerce standpoint and adapted those and broadened the capabilities of the platform to do much more complicated analytic queries. And it was a a fantastic platform that you could just, again, load your data in and start analyzing, start visualizing um, without having to do any upfront modeling um, in order to get your basic visualizations.
0: So how did you end up at Tamer?
1: That is a great question. With indeca BI, um, the, the Latitude product, one of the experiences that we had was we're, we're um, peddling Agile BI, and we would go to companies and say, hey, load your data and go. You can just start analyzing. And they would load their data and go and just start analyzing. And the first thing that they saw was that they had huge data quality problems or data integration problems, disparate representations across organizations. Basically, they would load their data and the first for the first time they're seeing their data as it is before they have gone through an IT project to homogenize that data or harmonize that data or get it um, uh, coerced into some common schema or format. And they could see, wow, I've got a huge mess. Now I need to kick off a year-long data cleaning and data quality project in order to do agile BI, but that's not really agile. So when I started talking to Andy Palmer and Mike Stonebreaker about what they were trying to do with Tamer, what they describe is tackling this data variety challenge head-on, building a a platform that is really geared exactly at that step of. You have an enormous amount of data variety and you want to bring it together for some business goal, be it analysis or supporting um, business processes. And the my reaction was, if you are actually tackling this problem and you actually have techniques that solve this, I want in.
0: So the data preparation, as I look at the landscape, there's a bunch of uh, startups, but also companies Whose products do some data preparation, and you know I think of it, and you know um, feel free to jump in and 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 disagree here. There's two kind of principal dimensions. One is uh, uh, to what degree is it uh, intelligent? So intelligent? So is it completely automated, or is it uh, augmented by human experts? Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a spectrum there, right? Uh, I don't think anything is completely uh, without domain experts at this point. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the second thing is: uh, uh, to what extent does it? Can it uh, handle variety and volume? Uh, or is it is it mostly a tool that is optimized for the single analyst doing a single file, as opposed to what you're describing? So is this kind right. of is this the right way to think about this uh, data preparation uh, landscape?
1: Well, every vendor is going to give you a a way to think about it that is going to position themselves. So, if I were to do the Ben Lorica quadrant, (laughs) I would
0: have two dimensions. One is the degree of augmentation, and then the other one is degree of volume and variety. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So, uh, and you guys actually uh, have a good story on both of these dimensions, right? So, you, you do machine learning. But you, do machine you, acknowledge, learning, yeah. uh, you acknowledge the need for domain experts still, right?
1: the The domain experts are absolutely critical. W- without domain expertise brought to bear on um, the machine learning, the machine learning is prone to going off in crazy directions and doing crazy things that make no sense to anyone. And the business will never trust those results. The business is only going to trust results where people that they know and people that they trust have had their hands on the the data, their hands on the system, have given the system guidance and where those same people have looked at the results that the system is producing and have validated them. They've said, yeah, we've seen what the system is doing and it makes sense. We've gone through and we've checked. That's the only time the business is going to trust it. So that's an absolutely critical part to any automated system, be it a machine learning system or otherwise.
0: So right there you have two, two things at play. One is the algorithms itself and then uh, you have to have a great user interface. Right?
1: Absolutely, you need to have a user interface that engages subject matter experts directly. And, and-,
0: then, and then the other the other important piece here is uh, some data preparation tools seem to uh, focus on the analyst. And uh, uh, I think you guys at Dave are more focused on kind of the uh, enterprise market where you have so many of these Desperate systems and data sources, and uh, that's kind of your sweet spot, is that?
1: Yeah, that is our sweet spot, um, where you're really trying to engage with a variety of data and bring data from a variety, a wide variety of systems together, and do that in a repeatable and sustainable way. Uh, if um, if uh, you have a, a group of subject matter experts. Um, business analysts, people who understand the data, understand the business and you need to engage them in order to bring disparate data together. You need a, a platform like Tamer that is going to give them the, the kind of collaboration tools that they need in, in order to actually work together and understand what each other is doing. A lot of what we have found with these these broad, um, data unification, data integration projects, is that the, the effort is as much social and business as it is technological, that getting people just to understand what it is they're trying to accomplish, to understand and, and agree on how they, how they know they're done, how do they know they're making progress, how do they know when they have produced a, a unified composite view of their data that actually meets their quality needs. Um, and, and our facilitating that conversation and the platform facilitating that conversation is a key part of these projects being successful. And this is one of the places where many other tools um, just don't have the, the mindset. They don't have the, um, the capabilities that are helping the projects along, helping the projects to be successful. It's not just about data engineering and giving people all of the different functions and functionality that they need in order to munge the data in in particular ways. It's helping people talk to each other and helping people identify problems and um, bring their colleagues into the conversation on those problems or on those challenges. So that they can collaborate and decide on what the right course of action is.
0: So... I guess there's, uh, uh, as I'm listening to you, I, I guess I, I kind of know the answer to this, but maybe you should uh, probably uh, clarify. But basically the role of IT in all of this, in the sense that back in the old days, uh, of course, you've got the data warehouse, which every column in there is vetted and and uh, cleaned up by the IT department. Here it sounds like you you have a system where people and uh, line of business people and business experts are more empowered and uh, they can move faster and maybe experiment. But then uh, uh, how do you ensure that people end up with the same answer? And uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, we don't actually ensure that people end up with the same answer. What we do is highlight where they have come to divergent answers. I see. And that's one of the the key filters and one of the key um, capabilities within the product is to highlight where there are discrepancies and that can be discrepancies between people, that can be discrepancies between what the platform is recommending and what people are recommending, Um, that can be discrepancies between um, people often want to incorporate Tamer's machine learning with a rule based uh, system. And we can highlight the discrepancies between those two systems. And it's by highlighting those discrepancies and enabling people to come in and look at the data and understand where those discrepancies are coming from, and then giving them a variety of tools, not data engineering tools, or not only data engineering tools, but also social tools for communication and collaboration. It's only by giving people the tools to address those discrepancies that you can really move these projects forward and make them successful.
0: So let's take uh, uh, some some of your favorite uh, case studies. So what does a tool like this, what does data preparation look like at enterprise scale? So yeah, who, at who's using it and uh, what kinds of conversations are happening?
1: Right. At enterprise scale, you run into um, a, a lot of challenges around um, data semantics, data representation, data governance. There's no one person who understands all of the data, um, much less where it is and how you might access it. So data preparation at enterprise scale really means working closely with many groups and helping them to work together in order to achieve a common goal. And a big part of that is making sure that they do understand the common goal. Um, And so there's a lot of education and communication that goes on, as well as the mechanics of data integration, In terms of who we're working with, we're working with subject matter experts for the different domains. These might be the owners of source systems like ERP systems or um, general ledger. These might be uh, subject matter experts along the lines of uh, people who are um, responsible for particular suppliers or particular commodities. Um, these might be people in the business analysis organization that are responsible for particular business metrics. So so
0: as you're naming these kind of profiles, each one of them is touching the product?
1: Each one of them is touching the product. Yes, absolutely.
0: Um, So what kinds of um, uh, challenges are amplified by operating at, at enterprise scale?
1: Yeah, there are a couple of um big challenges that are really magnified when you get to large scale. One is data variety, where if if you're working with a couple of sources, finding a common representation and a common set of data semantics to bridge those few sources is a tractable problem and you can have a person working on that problem on that problem. But when you have hundreds of sources or thousands of sources, finding a a common representation is just not tractable for a person. Finding a common set of data semantics that that bridge those hundreds or thousands of sources is just not a human tractable problem. And that's where Tamer's machine-human collaboration really shines, is having a, a person kind of describe to the system how to reconcile differences between a few of these different sources and have the machine go and apply that broadly across all these different sources, have it automatically find where it might be applicable to show the user the results of doing the integration in that way, having the user who is a subject matter expert judge? Yes, this is um, this is good. This is the way the data should look. Or no, you're still missing something. Show me some more examples um, that you think will will help move the system along. So data variety is is one of those. Another one is change and the velocity of change. Where with if you're working with the data from a single organization, the rate of change might be modest enough that you might hope to have a human keeping the system up to date as dimensions change, as new columns are added, or retired, or or what have you. But when you get to scale, when you're working across tens of organizations, um, you, you're working with the aggregate rate of change from all of those different organizations. And having a person or a team of people try to keep up with the um, ever-changing representation and semantics of the data just doesn't work anymore. You need a system that can adapt automatically to those changes.
0: So how do the tools and techniques change when uh, you're dealing with hundreds of sources, dozens of users, uh, versus kind of just a handful of users? And by the way, uh, uh, as you answered that, one of the things that uh, I also uh, was struck with as you were answering the previous question was uh, I started thinking of Excel files. Mm-hmm. You know, are Excel files part of this uh, uh, enterprise uh, scenario?
1: You know, they absolutely are. Any. Um, any platform that is working with business users and data that hopes to get by without ever integrating with Excel is is kind of kidding themselves. People are familiar with Excel, they're familiar with looking at and working with data in Excel, and it's a powerful tool that you just shouldn't ignore. And we absolutely work with Excel. Um, one of the the ways that our platform Uh, interacts with subject matter experts is through Excel. We will generate an Excel spreadsheet that says, here's what the platform thinks the data should look like, and here's a place in Excel for you to fill in your feedback. And that's a very comfortable interaction mechanism for for business analysts or um, other uh, subject matter experts to use when working with the Tamer system. And then we just incorporate the results from those Excel spreadsheets. And we can turn that into an internal activity stream within the platform. So it's not an unnatural um, collaboration at all. So um,
0: I, I, uh, I just had a recent conversation with Michael Armbrist of Databricks, who's the release manager of Apache Spark. And I know you, you folks are starting to look at Spark. So uh we're, any anything you can share at a high level? Yeah,
1: we're we're far beyond starting to look at Spark. We are um we have built substantially on top of Spark already. Yeah. Um Spark is a fantastic platform for data parallel execution. The uh, the academic research underpinning Tamer was really focused on how to carve up these huge intractable problems in data unification things like entity resolution it's an n squared problem and if you've got um, a large volume or an enormous variety of data that just becomes too huge so the academic research was looking at how do you carve these big problems up into smaller chunks in order to make them tractable and implicit in that is that those smaller chunks can be evaluated and and can be worked on in parallel. So these fundamental algorithms are parallelizable. And we have been um, working with parallelism really from the the beginnings of the company. And it was about a little more than a year ago, um, we decided to really kick off a data parallel evaluation um, backend for Tamer in earnest. And Spark was a very natural fit for what we were trying to do in terms of the ability to, to manage the data, the high performance and um, how easy it is to represent our algorithms in Spark. And we have at this point, a, a Spark backend that does run our, our data unification algorithms in so parallel. So
0: the one that uh, it ships now?
1: That's right. Um, we have uh, the the main product right now is shipping with a, a single node uh, Spark backend, and we have a a multi node parallel Spark backend in the works that's going to be released very shortly.
0: So where, so having uh, said all of this, so where does Tamer sit in a uh, typical tech stack?
1: Tamer has this um, interesting bridging role where it's it's kind of um, one part collaboration platform and one part ETL um, and one part data preparation, data wrangling tool. And we sit as uh, a sibling to um, ETL or MDM. We sit as a sibling to data catalogs. Um, and we provide one place for a lot of the different roles that I've been talking about to to come together both for visibility into what data exists within the enterprise as well as the the projects of adapting that data and making it fit for a particular purpose for analytics or for operations or to become just a, a valuable commodity within the organization.
0: So it seems like actually, uh, as you mentioned, data catalogs, that's a powerful, powerful uh, uh, result from Thema, right? So coming up with kind of this enriched data catalog that particularly if it's exposed to many users in the enterprise, suddenly they have access to many more data sources.
1: Right. And that's one of the big challenges when working with data is people just don't know what what data is out there, what data the organization has, what data they have access to. And Tamer put out... um, this past fall, our standalone catalog tool, which is really geared towards precisely that. It's just a a place to put all the information on the data assets within an organization to give them visibility. And that in and of itself is hugely valuable when people are um, trying to bring data together in order to support an analytic or a business um, process. And that same catalog is a one of the, the central components of our, our data preparation, data unification platform. Again, just providing people visibility to what data is out there so that as they kick off a, a project for a particular purpose, they can see what data sources are out there. And from that visibility, they might identify sources that they didn't know were relevant, or they might be able to identify, oh, we haven't contacted some particular organization yet. There's more data out there that we need to bring into the platform.
0: So we talked a little bit about Excel, but uh, what considerations were made to support other incoming data and output to BI and visualization tools?
1: Yeah, we have we have partnerships with um, with folks like Tableau and Click, and they've been great to work with to set up easy connectivity with the Tamer platform. Ultimately, the the value of a platform like Tamer is judged by the the value and the success of business results. Um, be that faster analytics, more accurate analytics, uh, a more complete view of supply chain, um, and making it easy for people to get the the data that they worked so hard to clean up and unify in Tamer, right into these visualization tools is really important Um, and then data connectivity likewise we have partnerships in order to set up easy data access um, to to get data from a variety of systems databases if it's in HDFS um, cloud service providers into the the Tamer platform so that Tamer can um, work its magic to get that data pulled together and cleaned up and ready for analysis and visualization.
0: So do you have customers that actually have this hybrid situation they have systems on prem and systems in the cloud?
1: Oh, we sure do. <laughs>
0: and then obviously yeah. they have and then Excel is in there.
1: You've got everything. Yeah, Excel is in there. Yeah, and um Data transfer is is always kind of a, a touchy topic, and when you you come into a, an organization and they have a data lake with um, petabytes of, of data you moving that data from one region or or one um, hosting system to another is just intractable and what tamer does is we, we identify the portion of the data that is really relevant to the task at hand. During training, that's going to be kind of a, a row-wise sample of the data. Um, and then once Tamer has identified which pieces of the data are really relevant to the task at hand, we can do a more vertical slicing of the data. But in all cases, Tamer is working just with that portion of the data that is relevant to the task at hand in order to minimize data movement across data centers or across um, cloud and on-prem.
0: So I see that you have increased your focus on procurement. Um, First of all, um, what's going on there? And are you building out uh, specific modules or features for that space?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, What is our focus on procurement? Our focus on procurement is really uh, looking at the particular problems that people are trying to address in the procurement space. These are things like spend optimization and tailoring the, the platform, the visualizations and the tools that people have to focus on things like spend optimization. So a lot of what you see in the the tailoring of um, uh, our solution for procurement is things like people want to look at aggregate spend and we make it very easy to, um, have that view of the data looking at aggregate spend or people want to prioritize data cleaning according to the amount of spend that that is going to impact Um, and so we allow people to focus their data cleaning efforts on those regions of the data that are going to have the biggest dollar return so it's it's these kind of tweaks to the platform um, that enable people working on a something like a spend optimization challenge um, to make best use of the platform.
0: So are there specific kind of data sources and data types?
1: Oh, sure. Um, we ha- we're connecting to ERP systems and um, product taxonomies that are very specific to, to this space, um, which is really just a tailoring of the, the data connectivity capabilities that the platform already has.
0: So looking back to your thinking machines days, uh, and uh in DECA. So now you're working in a company that uses machine learning uh with human experts. So you've got basically an augmented system. Uh at what so do you think at some point there's going to be more and more automation?
1: Um automation is probably a little uh I think there will be increased automation. A lot of what the the Tamer platform provides is um, call it automated suggestions. It's helping people to find their way, giving suggestions for next steps, um, and showing people kind of a, a results oriented um, path through data cleaning, rather than a a process or a a technique oriented path through data cleaning and i think this this human guided notion of of data cleaning this this human guided um technique where the the platform has the workflow baked into it and and the the platform is um suggesting to people and but then people are providing the the semantics the guidance the the direction for the platform is really the way things need to evolve in order to address truly large scale data and to address the, the enormous variety that is really coming into being now.
0: But at some point, the system, uh, if, if the, the data sources remain stable, data types remain stable, then the, uh, the machine learning part of the system gets better and better.
1: Absolutely. And if the, if the data were stable, if the dimensions were stable, if the semantics were stable, sure, the machine learning could come to a robust understanding of that data and automate the whole process. But that's not the reality behind That's it. not reality. That's what the, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs>
0: so, Anyway, this has been a great conversation. And thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Ben. This has been a pleasure.